Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lifcott-Hames, and it's mid-December and prime time for early decision and early action notifications. I'm also a mom, and I've got two high school kids who are taking their final exams right now. So the stress is all around me, the stress of performance, of being a kid who's trying to secure the outcomes they desire. It's mid-December, and some of our Getting In seniors who submitted early applications received news this week. We'll get to those updates soon, but first I want to welcome back our Getting In expert, Park Muth. Hi, Park. Hi, Julie. It's great to talk to you. Great to have you with us. Hope you're well. Things are good, but as you say, this is a stressful time of year. Absolutely. And I know you know this time of year well. You know what it does to kids and parents and to admissions officers and deans. Um, For the listeners who don't remember, Park spent nearly three decades at the University of Virginia as an admissions officer and dean, and he now works as an independent college counselor. So, Park, You've mentioned in past episodes that you're active in online forums for college admissions professionals. These are sites that aren't open to the rest of us, so the talk tends to be pretty candid. What's the admissions world talking about this week? Well, of course, early decision. And the other big issue, and it's been a big issue this entire fall, is the launch of a competitor to the common application, and it's called the Coalition for Access, Affordability, and Success. And this week, the Chronicle of Higher Education, sort of the go-to for educational issues, named 10 influencers this year. And one of them was James Nondorf, who is the dean of admission at the University of Chicago. And he is the president of the Coalition for Access, Affordability, and Success. And this is a new platform that students can fill out. It was rolled out as a way that low-income students can find out more about colleges and colleges can find out more about these students. So from a sort of macrocosmic perspective, that all sounds good. But it's become very controversial because it's going to be a lot more work for people on the ground, the counselors in the high schools, potentially the people working in admission offices and the students themselves because the biggest controversy is this thing called a locker, which is a virtual place for students to put materials, anything from a video to a paper to a PowerPoint presentation, as early as ninth grade. And that worries a lot of people. There's already enough stress about this. And to have people starting to think they need to fill up this locker in ninth grade is very controversial, to say the least. So there are a lot of things going on right as we speak about that issue. Boy, I really don't know what to make of the Coalition for Access, Affordability, and Success. I'll confess I haven't looked terribly closely at it, but I have been reading you know, some of the comments that are going around about it. As a former college dean, I'll tell you, when I had a ninth grader visiting Stanford, wanting to go on a college tour, wanting to meet with somebody, um, of course, it wasn't the, just the ninth grader. They were escorted by a parent or two. You know, I found myself trying to say very respectfully and very gently, it's a little too early. Uh, it's a little too early for you to be so focused on uh, what lies beyond high school. Now's the time to really focus on learning how to be a great high school student. So 
you know, I got to say, like you, I'm a little concerned about this locker in which students can place materials as early as the ninth grade. I can see the benefit. I can see the upside. Gather your stuff. Have it all in there um, waiting for you to make use of it when the time comes. But if it does anything to add to the pressure and stress kids are already feeling, I want to throw it out the window. You know, and to the point about the goal of the coalition being to provide opportunity to low-income students, I am 100% in favor of that. But as with the SAT, which is a way for all students, regardless of where they are and the quality of their school, to kind of demonstrate their aptitude in particular areas, I worry about the extent to which these systems and programs will be used by students at the other end of the spectrum to just amp up their effort to demonstrate their worthiness for college admission. For me, the jury's still out in this coalition and uh, obviously really, you know, great and well-respected people behind it. But from my vantage point as a as a former college dean concerned with the degree of pressure and stress our teenagers are under in so many communities around this nation to try to assemble themselves in a manner deemed worthy for admission to college, you know, what I want to see is a process that depressurizes the whole system. And I'm not so sure this new Coalition for Access, Affordability and Success is going to do that. This week around the nation, high school seniors everywhere who applied early decision or some form of it are receiving notifications. And it's time for us to check in with our getting in seniors about how they've fared in the process. Jordana Meyer from Chevy Chase, Maryland, sent us this voice memo. Hey, everyone. It's Jordana. So it's 6.01 on December 10th, and I'm logging into my Columbia account to see my admissions decision, which I assume is up. So now pressing login. And there's a status update. And there's a little link that says view update, um, which I know will take me to my decision, or... Uh, their decision on me. Oh my goodness. So, before I go into this, um, I'm going in with the mentality that I've not gotten in so that I'm not disappointed. Um, but here it goes. I'm going to close my eyes while I do it. Okay. Okay. <sighs> The Committee on Admissions has carefully reviewed your early decision application to Columbia University, and we are sorry to inform you we cannot offer you a place in Columbia's class of 2020. Well, I guess I can say it's what I expected. So I guess this means there are a lot of applications to do in the next two weeks. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Listening to Jordana... Give us the play-by-play -play of what that was like. It just brought me back to my own self as a 17-year-old. My goodness, I'm sitting here full of emotion for Jordana, who I've gotten to know through this podcast. And I just think, my goodness, of course, this is so disappointing. This is what you wanted. But Jordana, everything I know about you says you've got great options and opportunities coming. Well, it's been a few days, actually, since Jordana recorded that for us, and she just sent us a voicemail telling us how she's feeling about the Columbia rejection now. Hi, everyone. It's Jordana. Um, it is a beautiful December 16th in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, it's been almost a week since I uh, heard that I will not be going to Columbia next year, and 
you know, it's it's been a busy week, but it hasn't dragged me down at all. When I opened my rejection letter, you know, there was a moment when my heart sank, and it's probably pretty evident in my voice, but immediately I, I had to get up, I had to get dressed, I had to go sing at a concert, um, I had to do my homework, I had to start other supplements, and that's really how I tend to get through things that are difficult for me, is to stay busy. You know, there's no time to wallow in sorrow in my life, so... You know, it was a straight-up rejection. There's no chance of me going next year, so there's no reason to um, to dwell in that. A few of my friends um, also got rejections, and some stayed home from school. You know, some cried for six hours, and um, I in no way want to minimize that. But that's not how I work. Um, Got to keep rolling, and there's only one direction in which to move, and that's forward. So that is what I've been doing. I'm pouring my, you know, frustration or energy or whatever it is into my supplements for the eight other schools I'm applying to, which include Brown, Harvard, um, Penn, and Yale, Tufts, Barnard, Northwestern. Um, so as you can probably tell, um, Columbia's rejection has not decreased the rigor of the rest of my list. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Nobody from my school got into Columbia. Not a single person. Early decision. Um, four or five people applied. Whereas I think four got into Yale. Um, but yeah, a lot of my really close friends also have been getting into schools that they want to go to, and I'm over the moon for them. And, and, and as soon as I knew the definite no, um, there was a moment of, okay, I was married to the idea of this school is no longer a possibility, break emotional contact and move on. That's what's been going on. Very, very busy doing these supplements. Um, wish I had worked a bit harder while I was waiting for my Columbia response. I didn't. Regrets. Um, yeah, that's what's been happening. Thanks for that, Jordana. Boy, we can hear in your voice that over the days in which you've handled, dealt with, accepted the decision, that you have come to a place that is really quite positive, and it's great to hear it. I loved that you said, got to keep rolling, and that's absolutely right. That decision is behind you. Columbia's loss is another school's gain. So excited to know that you're attacking those supplements with uh, rigor and vigor, and uh, we'll be excited to hear what happens But mostly what I'm excited about is you sound like you're still you, which is essential. None of these decisions, whether they're rejections or acceptances, make you a better or worse person. You're still you. You're still you. And I love the fact that in Jordana's voice, I'm able to hear Jordana, happy for her friends, hardworking, ready to keep going. That's essentially all any of us can do and must do. Okay, let's turn to August Graves. She has some news to share as well. Hi, this is August Graves. I am uh, calling from school. Okay, so early decisions just came back, and I did not get into voting, unfortunately, and that's fine. Like, I was okay with it, and, like, I'm still okay with it, but it's just a total bummer, but it's fine. I'm fine. And, okay, also, so that's voting. And then Tulane, I... I early actions to Tulane, and I got deferred, which is fine. And they, my next step is actually I looked it up. I, I'm going to email the admissions officer from Tulane, and I'm going to say, "Hey, I'm really, I'm still really interested, and please uh, consider. I hope you consider my application for the regular decision." So that's Tulane, and then for University of Glasgow, which is in Scotland, I was accepted. So I have one college down and like a million more to go. Yeah. So for Glasgow, I was 
accepted to the Dumfries campus for the health and social policy major, which I'm not quite sure about, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. And I'm really excited about that. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. Well, another set of real-life outcomes. You know, so much of what the college process and this podcast has asked of these students has been speculative, but this week we're confronted with their real-life outcomes. Um, And we've just heard from August. Rejected from Bowdoin, deferred at Tulane, and accepted to the University of Glasgow. And I know many people my age, in my 40s, would say, I would love to go to college in Scotland. So um, sounds like she's not... Uh, super sure she wants uh, that particular option that the University of Glasgow has offered, but it is great, I know, to have one school definitely saying, yes, please come to us. That feels good. Um, And we'll await more news from August as uh, the decisions continue to come in. Park. December is hard. I'm really feeling it right now listening to these kids. What do you tell the students and families you work with after they've been outright denied or deferred in December? Well, that's a really good question, and you hope you can say specific things to them that resonate with their personality and their activities. But it hurts tremendously not to be able to get into your first-choice school. I mean, one of the things I learn about people through the early decision process, regular decision process, is that I hear in people's voices how they deal with things not working out. And anyone who listened to this will will say, well, these kids, <laughs> they bounced back pretty well. I mean, they they were not crushed and they are looking at this in a very positive way. And we just heard in real time her decision and hearing that reaction, you know, have the world listening, so to speak. And then a week later to say – I'm busy, I'm moving on, it's time to get going. Those are those are great future predictors of success to me, you know, whether it's not going to be a Columbia. Wherever she goes, if she keeps that attitude, she's going to be doing really well. So I hope she knows that. You know, I guess it does come down to optimism and perseverance, resilience, um, accepting you can't change the past, but that you have a whole lot of control over, you know, how you step forward. And I really heard that spirit in Jordana's voice. And I'm, I think we're gonna, we're gonna hear that from from the other students, too. I hope for their sake, December isn't tinged with um, the sort of sting of these defeats, but rather is full of optimism and joy and happiness as school stops for a bit. And there's time to focus on oneself and one's rest and one's wellness and so on. There's still more deadlines ahead for these kids. Regular decision applications, after all, are due in January. And there are the financial aid forms and scholarship applications to complete. We'll be covering all these phases as we head into the new year with our Getting In Seniors, and we'll keep you updated about how they're faring. All right, well, now it's time for our listener question from a father in Florida about early decision at Emory. Now, since Emory does have a January 1st early decision to round and deadline, this question is still timely. My child's first choice is Emory, which is $60,000 per year. His second choice is Florida State, which would be 17000 I have two questions. First, Emory says that if you apply early decision, you must accept if they make it financially affordable. I do not believe we will qualify for financial aid because we have substantial assets. However, 
As a self-employed professional in my 50s, we are concerned about spending $240,000 if our child receives no merit aid. Should he apply early decision and see if he gets merit aid? Secondly, can you discuss the general question of paying the extra money for a private school experience versus attending a state school? Thank you. Park, what do you think? Well, thank you for asking that question. It's a, it's a good one and an important one, obviously. We have talked about and are going to continue to talk about these financial questions. Now, in your particular case, one thing I would advise you to do immediately is to contact Emory and ask, will you receive any financial aid? By your comment, you don't think that you will, but at least get that confirmed. And they can't absolutely confer it, but if you ask them specific questions, they may be able to give you a specific response. Now, as far as merit aid, they're not going to be able to tell you that at this point. My advice would be if merit aid is going to be a make or break for you, then you shouldn't be applying for early decision. I think you have to wait for regular to see what they can come up with and decide at that point. If it's not that much of a absolute first choice for you, that would be my advice. Now, in general, the question you've asked about public versus private, again, there's no right answer to this. There are a lot of wonderful public universities for students to attend. And in fact, the great number of students in this country attend public universities and have gone on to great careers and great lives. So public versus private, what is the difference? Well, private, you're going to have smaller classes. You're probably going to have more resources in terms of the opportunities you have both inside the classroom and outside the classroom. But a student who is a go-getter at any school, if they are proactive in finding opportunities, they can make those opportunities. So to say that paying a lot more automatically means they're going to have a better experience, it's what the student brings to the college at some level. If a student comes in saying, I am going to this private school because they have these small classes or they have this particular program or they have this study abroad program and they're going to take advantage of it, then it may be worth that investment. I do think smaller schools, you know, the number of students per advisor is typically smaller. So they may get more opportunities to talk to people. But if their personality is not focused on, I am making my education what I want it to be, whether it's public or private, then I'm not sure paying the extra money to go to a, a private school is is worth it. Thanks, Park. Yeah, I think for me, it boils down to private doesn't mean better. <laughs> private means private. Public means public. There are great schools in both categories. You know, I'm reminded of research that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about in his book, David and Goliath, which indicates that it's advantageous to go to a college where you can be in the top of that college class because it's the students who are in the top wherever they go who end up having more doors of opportunity available to them beyond college for graduate school and in the workplace. And so without knowing anything, obviously, about this kid in Florida, um, if the the student feels that, hey, I have a really good chance of being in the top of my class, top 10% at Florida State, whereas I'm not so sure about that at Emory, if that is the analysis, then I would say, hey, Florida State's looking like a really great option because as uh, the research shows, it's the top students wherever they go who really end up reaping the greatest number of benefits from the opportunities presented at their college. 
Park, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on, and I hope people will listen to this and and learn from it. So thanks again. And thanks to our listeners for your questions. Actually, thanks to Listener Demand, we're now on Twitter. You can now tweet us your questions and comments at GettingInPod. That's all one word. If you're on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. At GettingInPod. That's our Twitter handle, and we hope we'll get some tweets from you. Meanwhile, you can keep sending your voice memos and emails, too. Our email address is slate.com And there's always our hotline where you can leave a voicemail. That number is 929-999-4353. And please leave us a comment on iTunes. It helps other people discover our show. And before we go this week, we've got one more update. After we taped the show, we received a voice memo from one of our Getting In seniors, Ellis Wells. So unfortunately, I did get rejected from Duke University. Um, today, this year was a particularly hard year for Duke, which if we understand, um, as I was a little bummed out, um, I'm definitely I'm glad I know. Uh, that's part of the early decision plan. gives me time to rebound. Um, so I'm going to be eating too, which is Pending as well to Vanderbilt University um, coming up January 1st. I still have some applications out, Case Western and UVA. Um, I've heard back from Tulane, which I've got accepted from, which is great. Um, comforting to know that I've once under my belt. And for regular decision, I'm looking at UVA, uh, sorry, not UVA, Emory, um, Georgia Tech, and I've already applied to Wake Forest, regular decision. So if the ball is in motion, um, I'm moving forward my applications and I've got really great advice around what around me supporting me. Um, you know, I'm ready to see what happens next. And that's kind of part of the college process, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm excited and looking forward to it. Thanks. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Production help from Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Julie Lithcott-Hames. And remember, it's not just about getting in someplace. It's about finding the right fit. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book you might try out from Audible is The Monopolists, Obsession, Fury, and the Scandal Behind the World's Favorite Board Game by Mary Pylon. In her surprising history of the Monopoly board game, you'll meet the lost female originator of the game and the man who has led a lifelong obsession to tell the true story about the game's questionable origins. If you want to listen to The Monopolist or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash college. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash college. And use the promo code COLLEGE.